All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my partner, Chen Lin, publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can subscribe to both of those letters at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. I want to encourage you to keep sending along your questions, answers, or your questions, criticisms, praises, whatever is on your mind to questions for taylor at gmail.com, questions, the number for taylor at gmail.com. We want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Today, our sponsors are New Legacy Gold. Um, Novo Resources, Klondike Gold, Aron Resources, and Ariane Phosphate. Well, I've titled today's show, Is Brexit the Start of a Global Movement? Uh, Richard Mayberry, Eric Coffin, and Michael Oliver once again will be with us today. The Brexit vote was a shock to the establishment, and similar reactionary movements, though, are being displayed throughout Europe, including two of the largest countries, Germany and France. The Italians are restless as well and are in deep financial trouble. And of course, the U.S. is uh, the U.S. We here we have Donald Trump, uh, and he's gaining a huge amount of traction from the middle class that is being destroyed by both Democrats and Republican governments that have engaged in massive deficit spending for guns and butters and whatever else they can uh, their hearts dream of. To top it off, uh, the worst offenders and destroyers of our prosperity and ultimately our liberty is the Federal Reserve Bank and other central banks around the world as well, because they are engaging in price controls for capital. Deficit spending and taxing to pay for unnecessary programs is harmful enough to the economy, but the death knell for our capitalist system is being orchestrated by a Keynesian-orientated Federal Reserve that is not allowing the markets to price the true rates of interest that would result in just the right amount of saving, just the right amount of consumption, and just the right amount of capital allocation to just the right industries and to just the right companies within those industries. That, my friends, is what would happen if we had a true true free market for capital. But the powers that be don't want to have anything to do with free markets, apparently. The arrogant PhDs from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, no matter how their university entrance scores uh, were, no matter how high they were, are totally ignorant of the most simple and common sense market dynamics of supply and demand. And so our markets are being totally destroyed, and that is leading to impoverishment of the middle classes. And so we have a reaction. We will be talking, uh, certainly we'll be talking to, uh, 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 we'll be talking to our various guests about this, but certainly Richard Mayberry, uh, those are some topics we'll want to put to him uh, as well. Uh, with regard to gold, the price fixing of interest rates um, 
at negative real rates of interest is perhaps the single biggest driver for the price of gold from a fundamental point of view. I have just written an article in my newsletter this past week, and I expect it will be posted at miningstocks.com very soon, drawing from the work of Paul Wong. He's the head portfolio manager at Sprott, Inc. Well, I met up with Paul last week in Toronto at the Sprott meeting that was for some of us newsletter writers. Paul is very bullish on gold, and he thinks that shares have risen uh, only about 20% of where they're likely to rise in this bull market because of, of negative real interest rates and the direction of those uh, real interest rates. Now, Paul says the only thing that he sees that would convince him that the gold bull market is over, and I'm sure he still feels that way after today's uh, downward slug, uh, he says the only thing that would really convince him that the bull market in gold is over is if GDP around the world would start to rise. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but just today or yesterday, the IMF put out another uh, another missive here talking about a decline in their prediction for U.S. GDP down to 1.6% uh, for, uh, for this year. Now, the rise in the price of gold and gold shares has, of course, been a very happy event for us, uh, notwithstanding today's decline. The gold shares are still up triple digits this year, uh, and if Paul is right, uh, well, we are just at the beginning, and in fact, today could be an excellent day to, uh, to add to your portfolio. Well, after our first break, my friend Eric Coffin, he's a newsletter writer and one of the most savvy investors I know when it comes to junior mining industry, will be with me to talk about the next Metals Investor Forum that I will also be attending. Well, I was a part of the one uh, in Vancouver in May. And, and that was uh, certainly one of the best junior mining conferences that I've ever attended. Uh, if you listen to Eric, I think you will understand why uh, you might want to really consider attending this upcoming event that's going to be November 12th and 13th in Vancouver. So Eric will be with me after the first commercial break, but right now I am really delighted to have with me, as we have almost every week, Michael Oliver. Um, thank you for joining me again, Michael. Great to be here, Jay. Always good to have you, and uh, just to tell my listeners, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to learn more about Michael's work and how you might consider subscribing. Well, um, Michael, gold is getting hammered today. I saw it was down some 40 bucks or something like that. Many of the mining executives that I speak with up there in Vancouver, they're worried sick about this decline, about this uh, this you know rapid decline that just seemed to come out of nowhere. Are you surprised by today's decline, and are you worried about a major downturn from here? No, I'm not worried about a major downturn. And it, as of the close of last quarter, last Friday, we we put out our weekend report and uh, outlook for Q4, and we covered gold and, and the GDX, which is the uh, gold mining uh, unlevered gold mining ETF. Um, and we've been bullish on both of them. We turned bullish on gold in February at 1140 zone as it broke out on quarterly and annual momentum. And we turned bullish, very bullish on GDX even more so when it traded up to 15.5.16 in February. Uh, since then, GDX ran up to 31. Uh, right now it's 23.5. We projected in the weekend report that probably the bottom, the, the, there's a zone of support for gold and GDX that we thought would probably roughly define the lows for this quarter. We're there. Mm -hmm. uh, had uh, 1270, low 1270s as a gold area of support, and 23.5, the GDX. Well, on the second day of the quarter, we're there. Okay. Uh, the, I, it, this is not a fresh break. See, people see the drop and they think, oh, this is a fresh drop. No, we've actually been under pressure in both those markets for about three months. 
Mm-hmm. So this is actually on an intermediate-term trend basis. This is a fairly aged downtrend that's making, uh, putting a stinger at the tail of the downtrend. And I think we're probably close to the low, if not at the low, for the quarter in both of them. I'm looking for now a minor sign of an upturn. I don't just want to assume that I know where support is. And MSA, MSA has been quite accurate on gold over the past decade or so. Uh, there's hardly a move we've missed. Uh, and frankly, if you're long gold at 1140, where we suggested, or GDX at 16, I wouldn't even blink an eye. The question, though, is for the person who is not in those markets at all and is looking to establish a position, I think if you see stability set in around these levels, any kind of upticks at all, basically about 20 bucks in gold or a dollar or two in GDX, I would assume, yes, in fact, that the support zone that we thought would occur is occurring, and I would establish a position. Uh, I think that the GDX in particular, if you run a point-and-figure chart, which is a price-based chart, it's very interesting what it just did. It topped at 30 on a rounded basis, $2 increment basis. There was an old high at 30 also on the way down. So what we set by pulling back $6 or three down ticks on a a $2 point-and-figure chart is a pending triple-top breakout at 30. So if you ever go back to 30 again, you can bet you're going through. And I think you're going to do that. I think this pullback is a bullish pullback not the start of a bear trend. And by the way, there's a lot of rattling going on in a lot of markets today. It's not just gold, T-bonds, right. stock, so forth. So all the tectonic plates are starting to move. And I think some of the moves are false in, in terms of the uh, ultimate direction, but you're getting a lot of violence today. Well, you certainly are, Michael, and I have to ask you about the T-bond because here we have a day when the equity markets are down hard, and so are uh, at least the T-bond, and I would I would imagine the, the German Bund and... Uh, and the JGB as well. Uh, everything getting hit hard today. How do you account for both? I mean, we used, under normal circumstances, see money coming out of the equity markets going into the bond markets. But today, mm-hmm. money seems to be coming out of both, and they're not going into gold. Where, where's the money going, and, and what do you make well, of this? I, it's going to the sidelines. But no, I think that uh, the T-bond market is, is I, watch out here. There's a, uh, uh, we've defined uh, an annual momentum trend breakage level below the market. Last month we traded last uh, was down to 165 and 10.30 seconds on the December T-bond futures, which is what we're looking at. Uh, our number was 165, so they missed closing out the month at a bad level. They rallied back close to 168. This month we've raised our number to 166 and a quarter. I think we've traded mm. about down to that level today, but that's a monthly yeah. close. I have a strong suspicion, and this is only a suspicion, that what the bonds are doing is trying to spook the stock market into a spill. And if you get a little rapid spill in the S&P, like a quick 50-point drop or something, I think you'll find that the bonds rally back up again. Uh-huh. I don't think the rally's going to hold, but I think you'll get that flight to safety. So you'll get a divergence there for a uh, period of time, if the bonds can provoke the S&P into a little mini panic, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I suspect, fairly close. Uh, specifically, 2130 on the S&P cash, if you trade that, I think you're, you're going to go into a little mini panic. That's wow. as low as last I saw was in the 2140s. Yeah, indeed. And and just looking at the T-bond now, I see it's 166 and 15, 30 seconds. So we're right mm-hmm. there at that at that number uh, that you were talking it's a good about, place right? place to rally from, I think, for, a, yeah. for a, a, a fake-out rally, but nevertheless, a, you know, one of these flight-to-safety jobs. Um, uh, ultimately, we do think bonds are going to fail. The, the rates are going up. But uh, if they can provoke the stock market into a little mini panic briefly, I think the bonds will get a reprieve. Everybody will think, well, they're going to hold, and they're not. But the rally, there's some reasons for the rally. Um, and uh, Anyway, so I, 
A lot of big you know, things are going on right now, and I think this is going uh, to be a very important month. Seems like a game of musical chairs to me, Michael. I don't know yeah. what's uh, you know when the music stops, what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I just have to ask you um, about the silver gold ratio. You made a note of that as well. Mm-hmm. I guess silver is still outperforming gold, which is a it, good signs for a, a continued bull market in the precious it, metals, it, right? relationship between the two, technically speaking, shifted favoring silver some months ago. We're getting, uh, today we're getting the opposite of that, silver's weak yeah. gold. But uh, that you have to view in the co- a larger context, and I think it's a rally in a new, uh, excuse me, a dip for silver in a, in a new uptrend favoring silver relative to mm-hmm. gold. So I don't think it changes anything despite today's action. Uh, we already turned the corner in a major way, I think, favoring silver. So uh, that's that's my view on, on that situation. All right, Michael, you uh, have been turning bullish, or at least have uh, believed that we're nearing a point of bullishness for commodities. Uh, you still mm-hmm. see it that way? Yep, I still see it that way. I watched the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which used to be the Dow Jones UBS Index, uh, and then Bloomberg bought it. It's a good balanced commodity index. It's not, I'm not heavily weighted to oil like, for instance, the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index. So I watch it, and right now it's at... Uh, a level that you cannot close the month here. If you do, you're going up. And I think you're going to rush to the upside about 20% in the commodity category. Uh, while we're getting a break in gold today, for example, uh, you, you firmness in sugar, uh, strength out of the meats, oil's pressing mm. up at 49. Uh, there's a lot of things that aren't breaking down. And I think gold is the leader. It led the way out of the hole. And I think commodities as a package are tending now to gel and follow gold some six or so months after gold already made its first move. Uh, and I think that we're, we're getting evidence of that. Also, the emerging markets relative to the S&P, the EEM is an ETF for emerging markets, have broken out relative to the S&P on a performance basis, which is another indication of commodity-related stock markets mm-hmm. being favored in fa- uh, against developed stock markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another Excellent. indication of a commodity move pending. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it go with that uh, because we are out of time. Uh, wonderful. Thank you very much, Michael, for being with us again Thank and you, sharing Jeff. your insights. Uh, always good to have you, and we'll look to do it again next week if you're available. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, uh, folks, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because I've got my good friend uh, and uh, very capable, competent analyst of uh, mining companies, uh, uh, finding money in the rocks. Eric Coffin will be with me, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Eric Coffin after the commercial break. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash 
and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, uh, once again, Eric Coffin. Uh, and you can catch up with Eric and what he's doing and subscribe to his newsletter at uh, hraadvisory.com, hraadvisory.com. Thanks for joining me again, Eric. Thanks for having me, Jay. Always good to talk to you. Um, it would be better to talk to you in person up there in Vancouver, which is my favorite city. Uh, well, at least when it's not raining, it's my favorite city. But it's um, uh, it's good to have you with us. I, you know, first and foremost, what are your thoughts about today's blood in the streets with respect to the gold markets? Are you, people you rub shoulders with up there, the mining executives, uh, junior guys, uh, junior mining guys, uh, are they getting a little bit frightened by this move, Eric? Oh yeah, I think I think it's safe to say there's a, a fair amount of freaking out going on today. Uh, <laughs> you know. We, we're not that far out of a, a pretty horrendous bear market. And, you know, when you go through four years like that, you sort of expect, you keep expecting the worst. And I, I think a lot of people are uh, looking at the action in the last couple of weeks and, you know, saying to themselves, you know, is that it? Is it all over? Uh, yeah. I don't think that it is personally. Uh, I, I think this is, uh, fairly normal correction it's a little little deeper than i thought it would be but uh you know guys that i've talked to they're more sort of technical analysts if you will guys that guys that analyze the charts by and large they were taught a lot of them were talking about seeing these levels this month uh i don't know if they were thinking they were going to see it this fast but i get the sense most of them aren't terribly surprised by this it would it's more as fundamental types that are freaked out by it, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's understandable. I mean, the pain that these mining executives and, and those of us who have been in this industry uh, went through over the last five years, it's, uh, you know, I guess we're a little bit like a, uh, a puppy dog that's been mistreated or, or beaten or something, you know, and, and we're coming out hoping that everything is all right. And, uh, but uh, it, it, is a bit, it is a bit disconcerting. But I must say, in looking at uh, Michael Oliver's work over the weekend, uh, he suggested that sometime this quarter that we might see something uh, around where we are right now. In fact, 1272 was sort of his uh, was was sort of his uh, downside target and res- uh, and support line. So we're there, and uh, we'll see if it holds. And he, as he was saying, Michael was saying, if it holds, uh, he thinks this is going to be a great time to start loading up. Well, in any event, uh, you have uh, you and Scott Gibson are putting together another. Uh, another wonderful forum. It's uh, called the Metals Investor Forum. It's going to be held up there in Vancouver again 
uh, at around, uh, I guess it's November 12th and 13th at the Hotel yeah. Georgia, the Rosewood Hotel Georgia in Vancouver. I mean, I must say, the one I attended back in May was just fabulous, and I think everybody who was there was very pleased, the companies, but also the uh, the uh, subscribers to our newsletters that were there as well. Talk to us a little bit about the upcoming event, who's going to be there, who's going to be some of the speakers, uh, and who are some of the companies that, that we might look forward to, to meeting up with. Well, if the speakers are going to be you <laughs> and me, uh, Glenn Preston uh, from the Resource Maven, John Kaiser, uh, Joe Mazumdar from uh, Exploration Insights, and Jordan Roy Byrne. Uh, who writes the Daily Gold? Jordan's a technical technical analysis guy, and and also I, I might add someone that was calling for these price levels in gold to show up right yes. now. So I mean, he 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 kind of hit the nail on the head from what I can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still inviting companies, and of course, I you know there's there's six of us speaking, and everybody gets to invite their favorites. So I'm you know I I, I get information from people as it comes in on who said yes, but. You know, some of the companies that, that I'm following that will be presenting there include uh, Northern Shield, which should be drilling or, or finish drilling a, a really exciting exploration project in Quebec uh, right about then. Uh, another company that I added quite recently called Vendetta Mining. Uh, Vendetta's got a lead-zinc project in the middle of the lead-zinc belt in northwest, northeast Australia, rather, uh, I added that because it looks like the work they've done this year seems to have backed up management's belief that they do have a broken hill model system, and uh-huh. I think they can build that to 12 or 15 million tons. And in that location with those grades, I think 12 to 15 million tons is is quite a saleable deposit. There's a number of deposit. There's a number of companies around them that could use. Uh, lower strip ratio material and or just a four or five year extension on their ore bodies. I mean, if they get the 15 million tons, it's probably economic standalone, but I, I think management would be quite happy if somebody came and took it off their hands and gave everybody an exit. Uh, another company that I've followed for a while, and I know you're following now as well, that will, I'm, I'm going to ask, I, have, I think they'll probably come, but I have to, I'm waiting for them to hear back from them. That's GMV, which is, Mm-hmm. The, the Oxide Gold Project in Arizona. Um, I'm really interested to see what their next phase of exploration looks like. Uh, they're just starting work now, probably this week. They will be drilling in two or three weeks to uh, add to the 530,000-ounce oxide resource. That's obviously great if they do that, but I'm equally interested in the work they're doing uh, out in the flats, all of this resource is sort of located, sticking out of the side of Mexican Hat Hill, which is what the project is named. But I've always been quite interested to see if they could find new zones out in the flats. No one's really looked before these guys came along. They've got some geophysical evidence that the structures that contain the gold do, in fact, extend out into the flats. Hmm. They, they did a handful of samples, and it was literally a handful, just basically uh, reconnaissance samples. There's no real outcrop away from the hill. So they took a few soil samples where they thought these structures were running, and they did, in fact, apparently get anomalous gold numbers. So they're doing mm-hmm. a much bigger soil survey, and they're, they're going to bring in a more powerful geophysical system. But what I'm hoping to see there is a bunch of new zones get outlined. Um, another company that is that has already 
gotten back and said they will be presenting in November is a company called Almadex. Yes. Almadex, uh, as a lot of you may know, if you follow the sector for a while, is a spinner of Almaden Minerals, same mm-hmm. guys. Um, they spun out everything other than their Extaca discovery in Mexico into this new unit. Uh, they made a, they've got one property in, in eastern Mexico called El Cobre. They released us some pretty nice two separate intercepts from one long hole about a month and a half ago. And I, I talked to Morgan Pollock when the CEO a couple mm-hmm. of days ago, he just got back. Uh, they are continuing to drill. They've got two rigs going now. I mean, obviously he wasn't dropping too many hints. Uh, I don't expect to see more results till say next week, but I can tell you that he, he seemed extremely comfortable and extremely confident. And Morgan is something of an expert in both porphyries and in the particular rocks in this part of the world. So the fact that he's confident and comfortable makes me confident and comfortable. And that's a, a fairly tight stock. They've got 40 million shares out. It's trading at about 80 cents. But the shareholders are essentially the Almaden shareholders. It was spun out as a dividend. And uh, it's got a pretty loyal shareholder base. So that thing's structured in, you know, it, it could move a long way if they if they hit something really interesting because they have a lot of shareholders that just aren't going to be sellers. Yeah, they do. And I think it's sort of a project uh, generator model uh, as well, isn't it, Eric? And they, they, they tend to focus on, they've, if they have one project that really looks like they can take it a long ways themselves, they go ahead and spend some money to do it. But they also have a number of other properties as well, perhaps, that they might yeah, bend out, lease out. I'm not even sure what the total is, but they've got I would something in the order of 30 or 40 projects. Right. One thing that they've got that they argue, and probably correctly, really, doesn't really get much value from the market is they do have royalties. Almadex does have royalties on Extaca. It's got royalties on uh, on the project that El Cobre was uh, pulled out of called, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's a gold deposit. Both of those are likely to go into production. They've got a, they also have a, a royalty on, on the uh, Elk Project up in BC, which may or may not go back into production. I mean, bottom line is, if you look at royalty deals, what they're paying for near-term royalties, you can make the argument that those royalties themselves are probably worth half what the stock's trading at. And I, and I think most people just ignore them. And that seems to be what they want to do. I get the sense they would like to do a bunch of deals where they effectively sell the project, get a significant share position in a third-party company and a royalty, and basically build up a royalty portfolio at the same time that they're drilling their favorite projects themselves. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. You know, uh, 74 cents Canadian money, uh, down 10 cents today on uh, the today's bloodbath uh, with only yeah, 44 million shares. Big, yeah, it's one of What's those that? ones that has big... It's one of those that has tens of big swings because it doesn't trade a lot of volume. And, you know, if I was stink bidding anything today, it would probably be that one, frankly. I, I do, uh, do kind of like the feel of that one, and I think they're on to something. Mm-hmm. 210,000 uh, 210, shares today uh, in this uh, down day, so maybe a little more than normal. But in any event, uh, oh, that's a, they're really good people. I, I've known them for yeah. a number of years too, Eric, and... Uh, yeah, that's that's one I've followed as well. I mean, if you look at a company like Vendetta Mining, my goodness, I think I saw it was it seven cents Canadian or something like that today. Yeah. So if they well, if they come up with huh, it's about ten. It was about seven when I started talking about it. But the what they need to do is they, in order to pay for this year's work, 
early this year. I mean, zinc, nobody really cared about zinc earlier this year. They, a lot of people still don't care about it. You know, they, they did a much bigger placement than they really wanted to at five cents, a 50 million unit placement. Um, it should be noted, though, half that placement was bought by either insiders or two institutions. Uh, they want to use the warrants, the 10 cent warrants attached to that sort of as the next placement, if you will. So I think we can assume it's going to trade in and it's got to trade in and around these levels for a while to soak up some of that volume in order for those warrants to get exercised. But I think you know at the current price, it's got it's got about a seven eight million dollar market cap, and if they do get twelve to fifteen million tons here, uh, and I think they've got a real shot at that. The the NPV of that project would be you know twenty <laughs> times that I would think. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the kind of thing. I mean, th- these are these are opportunities. Uh, you know, my listeners, uh, I want you to think about this because these are opportunities uh, that come along not not very often, and it's it's not as if you can throw darts at these things. Eric is uh, is someone who's been around this business for a long time. His family's been in this business for a long time in the exploration side of the mining sector, and uh, you know, if you want to improve your odds of Picking out some of these uh, some of these penny stocks that have a real chance of becoming uh, something you know ten twenty thirty times what they're worth now. Well, Eric hits those every now and then, especially quite often actually in a bull market. So you might want to consider uh, it's uh, hraadvisory.com. And uh, the, Eric, these are really uh, these are really opportune times. I think today has been a tough day for those of us on the long side of the of the gold market, the gold share market, and the mining sector. But it's times like this when you can really do uh, do extremely well. So, uh, I, any any closing thoughts? We we are basically out of time. Anything else you'd like to add? I mean, this feels close to capitulation. I mean, I think if people are nervous, I think the I think the day you probably want to wait for is Friday. Friday is the next non-farm payrolls. It's supposed to come in around 180. I mean, if it came in at say above 200, I think you would probably see gold test 1260. Uh, if it's yeah. a negative surprise then we may have just seen the, the bottom for a while here an hour ago. So mm-hmm. you know, decide how well, brave you're feeling, I guess, whether you want yeah, to. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, everybody has to make up their mind, uh, you know, for themselves, and, and they want to sleep well at night. You want to take that in consideration as well. But, uh, again, uh, we, we want to encourage people. I'll be sending things out. Uh, we'll be talking about the, a metals investor forum coming up on the 11th or on the 12th and 13th of November in Vancouver and Eric will probably be talking to you again between now and then and some of the other speakers as well so I want to thank you very much for being with us and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime real soon okay thanks very much Jay all right all the best well take care uh, folks uh, we do have to go to break now and uh, when we come back Richard Mayberry is going to be with us uh, Richard Mayberry their early warning report always has an awful lot of Interesting things to talk about, uh, political and economic, uh, and uh, the precious metals markets as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Mayberry.
New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining-friendly Quebec and, once in production, will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and E-R-R-S-F in the U.S. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, once again Richard Mayberry. He's the author of Richard Mayberry's U.S. and World Early Warning Report. It is a newsletter that I've been a subscriber to now for many years. Uh, many, many years ago, I had a, a, a subscriber of mine who I met up with, a dentist who um, uh, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. He's a wonderful man, but he... He just said, Jay, you have to subscribe to Early Warning Report. He said, I don't know of any letter that is better in terms of geopolitics and what's going on in the world. Uh, and he's also very much in tune with the markets as well. And so I started subscribing, and it's one of those uh, one of those few letters that I don't allow to lapse uh, when the subscription renewal time comes. So thanks for joining me again, Richard. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. Well, thanks a lot, Jay, and I always enjoy talking with you. You're really doing a fantastic job here. Uh, very few other uh, public people uh, have much to say that's, that's tuned in like, uh, like your stuff is. You really have a, a good background in the, in the stuff you report on. That's unusual these days. Well, it's, I, th- I suppose uh, you know, it's brought up in a, in a sort of a counterculture environment, not one of the mainstream, and uh, I suppose that has something to do with it. I mean, people... Uh, that just basically uh, aren't challenging themselves in terms of what is the truth. I mean, if we just simply listen to the mainstream and accept uh, the, the you know those uh, talking heads with silver silver tongues, uh, the the PhDs from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Well, my goodness, I, how can you question them? They are so bright, so brilliant. They speak so well. They look so good. 
but uh, uh, good Lord, I mean, I think the, the people that are most lis- misleading a lot of times, I mean, could you imagine the uh, television networks are not going to put the elephant man on television, are they? No, that's true. Yeah, you know, my wife and I were talking the other day about the, the uh, Ivy League colleges and, and how they really essentially control the thinking of practically everybody in the country because you can't get to be very high in politics or in the news media without being trained by these people. And they have these um, socialist agendas that they picked up like, oh, I don't know, those those Ivy League colleges were swept by that in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they never let go. They they can't... uh, face the fact that uh, socialism doesn't work and that they've been teaching this viewpoint for more than a century, and it's wrong, and and they won't admit it. And so they ride on the, the backs of the medical schools and the other scientific parts of those colleges, the economists do. The yeah. economists pick up the, the prestige from those scientific parts of, of the curriculum in those colleges, but they are a bunch of fools. They do not know what they're doing because they keep passing along this this socialist and Keynesian model that they teach to everybody else. How is it that the Federal Reserve can you know can can do the same thing as they did in the 1930s? It didn't work in the 30s, uh, and then. Uh, you know, Bernanke comes along at Milton Friedman's birthday or whatever celebration it was and said, Milton, we won't let you down. This time we're going to get it right. Uh, and, you know, so they went at it with the bazookas, right? And they went at it harder than ever before. They never questioned the fact that it wasn't the right policy to start with in the 1930s. They just simply said, well, we, we didn't do it right. We didn't do it enough of it or, or effectively. We just weren't effective. Uh, they daren't, and their hubris, I guess, dare not question uh, the fact, they, they, they dare not admit that they might be wrong, that their policies and their thought process is wrong from the get-go. Yeah, and it's really insane. Um, you know, as some of your, your listeners will, will recognize, you and I both follow the Austrian School of Economics, which is the, the only living alternative to the, the Keynesian and socialist model. And um, I, I think it was is very instructive that one of the greatest of the Austrian economists who got a Nobel Prize in 1974 was Frederick Hayek, and he, almost all of his work was in regard to law, not in regard to economics, because ah. Hayek said that, as far as he was concerned, the economics had been done, uh, that the, the Austrians had worked out what's wrong with the, the world economy, and mm-hmm. that um, he felt that, that he couldn't add anything more to it, even though this guy is a Nobel Prize winner. So he mm-hmm. went off in the direction of studying the, co- the connection between law and economics rather than say, trying to say anything more about economics. And, and the Keynesians are still back there using a model that, if they would admit, admit it, I, I wish they would, their model comes from the Roman Empire. They yeah. are they are back there two thousand years, uh, and the you know the Austrian model was was basically finished by uh, Ludwig von Mises mm-hmm. in uh, the nineteen twenties. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and Americans are taught nothing about this. They know nothing about the, how false the ideas are that they are taught when they are in high school and college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the most rudimentary uh, uh, principles of economics, of uh, you know, such simple concepts of supply and demand, or taking it a little further, the elasticity of supply and demand, which are pretty simple concepts. Uh, and clearing the market, and 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 finding out that the, you know, the the idea that that markets, if left to their own devices, if they were free, would allocate scarce resources more efficiently than any other kind of a system, and so we have the specter of a few uh, self-proclaimed brilliant PhDs from Princeton, Harvard, and Yale who sit uh, on the uh, Federal Reserve Board and make decisions as to how. Uh, what interest rates should be? It's just uh, it's just inconceivable. It's so Soviet Union like, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was actually going to bring that up. You know, <laughs> we must be wired together through the ether or something here. Well, um, I think we are in terms of uh, uh, you know understanding. To me, you don't have to be brilliant to understand uh, Austrian economics. Although for sure, von Mises and the other great minds, uh, you know, really spelled out in great detail and great depth the dynamics of it. But in its simplest form, it's just the way things are. It's the way people behave. Prices are higher, they consume less, they sell more. Uh, you know, so that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand that. But the lack of understanding those basic principles means then that the demagogues can start promising uh, endless amounts of, of things they can never deliver. Uh, or if they do deliver them, that's going to be at some cost to somebody uh, and the efficiency of the system. Well, anyway, Richard, what I wanted to talk about, at least in part, and want to make sure we cover it today, is Brexit. You know, um, it seems that there is, is something going on around the world now where people are demanding more say in the way of how they're governed and perhaps more decentralized government, I guess. You know, we certainly, the Brexit was a, a move in that direction, it would seem. Uh, there's pressures in Italy, uh, there's pressures in Germany and France, and uh, and I would argue that Donald Trump's popularity here among the middle class, which is, feels they're being cheated, uh, is part of it. Um, do, you, do you see it that way? Is it is it a revolt of the middle class that's that's going on and causing Brexit and other things? What what's your take? Yeah, I, I do believe that. Um, you know, what happened was that World War II was so horrible that um, you know people today they pretty much lost a grasp of how awful that war was. Mm-hmm. And the people who came out of that war, who, who did survive it, especially in Europe where it was so awful, it was the worst of all in Europe, they were terrified that the world would go back into that sort of thing again. And so they went desperately in search of a way to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And they, they hit on this idea that, um, we ought to have one world government, just a single yeah. government that runs the whole world and keeps everybody under control so that nobody will attack anybody else. And um, there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever that that would work <laughs> or yeah. that people who had that much power could be trusted with it. Huh. But they went ahead and started moving in that direction, and the year, the... Uh, the United Nations was the first attempt, and then European Union was seen as a step in a further step in that direction of this unification of a whole bunch of governments and um, again, it just doesn't work that that much political power will corrupt anybody and 
uh, you know, the, the big lesson that the American founders left us with and that's been forgotten is that political power corrupts the morals and the judgment. And so there's no solution other than to keep governments as small as you possibly can because mm-hmm. you want it small enough that no matter who gets control of it, he can't do much damage. Mm-hmm. But after World War II, the whole world began moving in the opposite direction, uh, trying to tell themselves that there are people who can be trusted with all this power. And it turns out to be a, a ridiculous idea. So um, the European Union now is, is essentially starting to disintegrate um, because the people are realizing that, that the politicians and bureaucrats with all that power are just robbing them and, and just, just treating them horribly. Which is, you know, that's the lesson of history, is you don't ever trust right. any government. But they trusted their European Union, and now they're paying for it. Right. Well, it'd be a little bit, I guess, when we ask governments uh, to take care of us, it's a little bit like asking the fox to guard the chicken coop. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, uh, so what you're telling us, and again, the educational system, it's, it's a statist educational system. The educational system, they're not going to teach you that government's you know, if it's a if it's a statist educational system, they're not going to teach you the government's bad. They're going to mm-hmm. teach you that hey, trust us, we we'll, we'll take care of you. Ronald Reagan had something else to say about that, of course. Uh, that uh, you know, if, if it's the government's promising to trust you, you probably they are the cause of the problems. Rather, in many cases, you know, even Richard this summer, I was in Portugal with in uh, my wife's hometown and meeting up with some of her friends who are decidedly to the left side of the political spectrum, to say the least. And even they acknowledge the fact that. Governments can be the most harmful thing in our lives. They can be the most devastating, the most damaging, the most dangerous entities that exist. So even they understand that, but they still, I think, don't see the necessity uh, so much of the Portuguese remaining Portuguese and the Italians, Italians, the Germans, the Germans, the French, the French. They, I think they're, they're seeing and sort of that what you were talking about, this notion of remaining safe and trying to avoid the horrors of war. Meantime, though... Uh, one wonders, and now uh, Europe is being infected with uh, with various other problems, and they're having their little skirmishes everywhere, aren't they? Yes, right. Um, it's to me um, what it all boils down to, and, and I really hate to say this, but it, it's true: the civilization now around the world is in decline because these economic systems that have been forced onto us don't work. Uh, and, and the fascinating thing to me is that the Soviet Union was the embodiment, uh, the epitome of this uh, socialist central planning model where the government owns and controls everything and everybody and tells everybody what to do and makes sure that everything is done the way the government wants it done. That's socialism. And that right. was tried in the Soviet Union, and it totally fell apart. And the people who are still advocating it pretend like it didn't happen. Their model was tested thoroughly in the Soviet Union, and it led to horrible catastrophe. And and yet, they 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 pretend like, well, you know, <laughs> it was just bad luck or something <laughs> that that yeah. killed the Soviet Union. But it wasn't. It was socialism. Right. Yeah. Well, there's no understanding of that. There's very little understanding of that. And you you talked about the uh, sort of the moral decay, the moral decline. And uh, this might actually be a good time to bring up one of your efforts 
in terms of ethics. You you have a program going now to try to help people understand and, and perceive, you know, the people they come in contact with. Are they ethical? Are they somebody you can trust or not? Because, uh, and that's a, that's a, talk a little bit about your program um, on ethics that you have going. And it's, a, it's sort of an educational um, effort that you have going. Talk to our listeners about that. Because I think that really gets to the heart of this notion of how people are treating each other. I mean, socialism is a system in which you are forced at gunpoint to give to somebody you don't know. Uh, it, it, I mean, the whole thing is just immoral, I think. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's my belief that, that essentially what's wrong with the world is that, that we've lost the concept of ethics, and that enables governments to just go run, run wild, do anything they want. Um, but it, it, it affects us most so far in our daily lives, just in our relationships with other people, especially in companies where mm-hmm. ethics is so important. Uh, it's the fundamental part of teamwork. So, you know, what happened was in uh, for about 125 years, the public school teachers used McGuffey's readers to teach ethics in the public schools. And uh, McGuffey's readers were, were a series of books that contained all sorts of, of uh, fascinating lessons about ethics. And the... Um, the, kid, the whole population was taught ethics through McGuffey's readers. But in mm-hmm. the 1960s, McGuffey's readers were banned because they had some stuff in there about religion. And it's, it's unconstitutional to teach religion in the public schools. So um, the teaching of ethics disappeared from the schools starting in the 1960s. And there are very few people around now who have a systematic understanding of ethics. It's a really very simple thing, but they don't have it. And so um, research shows that a third of young people, um, as well as millions of much older adults, do not know how to tell the difference between right and wrong. Mm. So what we've done is established a company called Ethics Solutions, um, and the the uh, URL is ethicsolutions.net, um, and that teaches the ethics. There's a training course, um, and it costs forty nine dollars, and um, you can put a young person or uh, an employee through the course in about two and a half hours, and it gives them the ethics that McGuffey's readers once took six years to teach. It <laughs> usually took six years working with those readers to teach the ethics, but we've got it compressed down so that it can be done in two and a half hours, and then a person is tested after they do the studying, and when they pass the test, they're issued a certificate that shows that they do have a good working knowledge of ethics. Mm-hmm. And um, we're expecting, um, well, we've already got quite a few businesses that are using that to train their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're hoping that that catches on with also with parents wanting to teach their adolescents because the kids aren't going to get it in school. Yeah. It's got to come from someplace else. Um, well, and we're kind of expecting that, that perhaps the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts might use it. We don't really know where it will go, but essentially there's this enormous ethical vacuum out there, and we are now starting to fill it. 
Well, that's, uh, that's, that's really great that you're working on that, uh, Rick. You know, I think somebody once said, or somebody once said, I say it, and I know it's true, and I know you do know it's true as well, that, uh, you know, you, you need to demonstrate ethics the way you behave. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't do as I, don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, no, that doesn't work. You have to, parents have to live the way they teach their kids to live if they really want their kids to live that way. So if we're going to look at our leaders in this, in this country right now, we look at the, uh, the specter of a, of a Clinton or a Trump presidency, my goodness, what kind of ethics are those people teaching us? <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, basically, they're teaching us steal if you can get away with it. The Federal yeah. Reserve is teaching us rob anybody you can get away with. If you don't get caught, it's just fine. Just mm-hmm. you know, just steal and take from whoever you can get away with, right? And I mean, aren't yeah. we being taught that essentially by the actions of the leaders of our country? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think Americans are really pulling their heads out of the sand now, and they're beginning to realize that what a, a an election is, is just a way of buying power. The politician stands up in front of people and says, if you will give me the power, I'll steal from your neighbor and give you whatever you want. Yeah, that, That's essentially what it's all about. The whole process is crooked as a dog's hind leg. Yeah, and the problem is, of course, now uh, there's more and more people that are being stolen from, and there's, you know, of course, I guess it, it is true now, though, that in America there's slightly more people that are voting for a living than working for a living with the demographics. So it's uh, it's hard to see how we get out of this, uh, Rick. You know, I guess we got, uh, my engineer is telling me we have four minutes left. So let's say, let's take a couple of minutes and talk about uh, the prospects of a Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I, mean, I, I have, I'm very doubtful that that can happen because I think the establishment will make sure it doesn't one way or another, uh, even if the people want him. Um, trepidation about the possible Trump presidency on your part? Yeah, I've got a whole lot of trepidation, but I've got slightly more trepidation about a Clinton presidency. <laughs> right. Well, that's I'm, my, I'm that's scared to death of both of them. Right. Um, I think they're both a, a good example in, in different ways about what political power does to something. What's really fascinating to me about Trump is that I thought that he was acting, you know, if you look back over a year or so, and you see how he's behaved since then, I thought that was all an act, because how could the guy become so um, uh, wealthy, so successful, um, and be that kind of person that he was putting on? And and, um, I realize now, after we've seen him in one of the debates, that... He wasn't acting. That's the real guy. He wasn't yeah. just playing to an audience to get them to vote for him. That's the real guy. And I think what's going on here is that Clinton is a experienced politician, and as she gets closer to the White House, she gets just as giddy as he does, but she knows how to hide it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he, that's a, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... They're both in this emotional state where they can see that they've got a realistic possibility of being emperor of the world. And that's what the U.S. president is, not just president of the U.S. He's emperor of the world. And that amount of power, when they get to thinking about it, they get weird, man, really weird. And um, she knows how to hide it, but he doesn't. You know, Rick, in uh, uh, your August newsletter, you said, and I quote, it isn't so much Clinton who is on trial as it will be the American system itself. 
uh, if and this is relating to her emails, and if she's not prosecuted for that, can you can you just explain? Take a minute or so to explain what you meant by that. Sure, I, I was in the military, and I know what happens to people who break security precautions, and and you don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, it's going to be nasty, and 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 I'm entirely certain that if you or I um, did the security breaches that she did, we'd be in jail so fast it, it'd make your head spin. So um, she is a really dangerous person. She really, really wants to abuse power. She wants to. That's her record here. And the, if the American people are going to elect her um, and knowing you know, that she's made these security breaches and, and it's very likely to have resulted in the deaths of a lot of American troops, um, the Benghazi thing is just one example of that. Right. And I, I think if the American people elect her, that will show you how totally corrupt the American people are. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're going to have to leave it go at that, uh, Rick. Thanks so much for being with us again. Um, we do hope that something good will come out of this. Uh, and I know that you also have some positive things to say in your newsletter. So I hope people will, uh, will subscribe. But one of the things we never got to today is your excellent track record in investments and people need to know that rick's not only about uh history and geopolitics but he also has a fantastic track record when it comes to investing so uh, thanks so much for being with us rick we'll hope to talk to you about that sometime in the near future well folks that is all the time uh we have for this week uh next week i look forward to uh talking to you again Uh, frank holmes will be my guest next week so uh, until then goodbye and god's blessings to you Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y-Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y-Gold.com. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively.